Well, all we want is justice. Goodness gracious me, is that too much to ask for? Justice. Our, our streets have been searched uh, by crowds seeking justice in recent months, haven't they? And certainly with uh, an unquestionable cause. But then there's grace. Goodness gracious me. In, in the midst of a, a once-in-a-century pandemic, in the midst of bushfires and now floods, we have seen grace sought and grace done in many ways the world over. Justice, righteousness, truth, faithfulness, we want these things to be wielded in our world. But then there's grace and mercy and love and compassion. And we want them to flow in abundance too, and especially to ourselves, I'm sure. You see, as our world is, is churned and as its foundations uh, seem to be shifted by all of this social upheaval, we still never seem to lose those twin desires for truth and grace, for faithfulness and love, for justice and mercy. Wherever we find one, we find the other lacking, and we certainly reap the consequences. So where can we find the embrace of love and faithfulness that we so desire? Where can this seeming oil and water mix together? Well, on this day, Good Friday, that's a, a strange mix of holiday and holy day, cast your eyes afresh at a moment in history where all our desires meet. Because our passage from John 19, it is a, an account of someone's desires. It is an account of John's desires, in fact. The Apostle John was a faithful follower of Jesus for several years and he recorded his eyewitness testimony on, of the fateful day of Jesus' crucifixion because he desired to present this moment as the culmination of an epoch in human history. See there how he opens in verse 28. He says, Knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. John's desire is that we would know that this moment is the completion of Jesus' purpose on earth and is the fulfillment of all that God has been promising humanity. And John records this moment in meticulous fashion, doesn't he? There's lots of nitty-gritty detail about just how that wine vinegar got from the jar up to Jesus' lips. After Jesus dies, John offers us literal blow-by-blow -blow accounts of the legs of other crucifixion victims being broken either side of Jesus. And the passage culminates with Jesus' lifeless body having a spear plunged into the side. And in verse 34, John says that this brought a sudden flow of blood and water. And then in verse 35, in John's uh, characteristic style of referring to himself as the man in the abstract, he says, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. John's desire for us to believe the truth about this fateful moment of Jesus' death is clear from the repetition. Testimony, testimony, testifies, true, truth. Now, of course, with our modern eyes, we might assume that the clinical truth of Jesus' death is John's focus here. And no doubt that is true. Modern medical knowledge has made it plain to us that the brutal torture that Jesus suffered before his crucifixion 
of repeated scourging with whips of bone and stone, as well as the extended period of hanging by one's arms from a cross without any medical attention. Well, that most likely contributed to litres of fluid building up in the lining of Jesus' ribcage. And it would have separated into a clear and red serum. And that piercing of the spear would have released those two coloured liquids to flow out separately. John's testimony records precisely what will be medically expected of a thoroughly deceased person in this moment. Meticulous, nitty-gritty medical detail has been preserved here from John's testimony. But friends, I doubt that John had done his seven years of med school. I doubt that he was aware of the medical phenomena that had taken place within the dead body of his master. Undoubtedly, John desires for us to believe what he saw in the death of Jesus. But more pressing for John is why he saw the death of Jesus. And it is there in those last two verses, verse 36 and 37, John says, These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. John records his eyewitness account of God's promises in Scripture being fulfilled. Because for John, this is where our twin desires for love and faithfulness meet. As what appears to be the twin flow of water and blood, we find the intertwining there of justice and mercy, of grace and truth. They meet in the promises of God and their fruition on this day, as John recalls, that they crucified his Lord. You see, friends, there's a reason why we march in the streets seeking justice, because we can't seem to produce that justice within ourselves. Only corruption and betrayal flow from us. And there's a reason why we crave love and grace, because we seem only to yield hate and division. And so when we need justice, we are duped into thinking that we can find it within our deceit. And when we need to be shown mercy, well, we find only our own hatred condemning us. If we're honest, we are scouring through scraps trying to salvage grace and truth. But because we look within ourselves, we are never going to succeed. Because the problem is not that these virtues are fleeting. The problem is us. We are like a, a repellent magnet running under a piece of paper and we are driving the iron filings of justice, mercy, righteousness, grace, truth and love far, far away. It wasn't always like this, of course. When God spoke the universe into existence, his character was stitched into it. He hemmed grace and truth into the heavens. And he did it for us to share in, for, for humanity to be the bearers of God's love and righteousness in this world. But Adam and Eve chose not just to be the bearers of God's character. They wanted to be the arbiters, the judge, the rulers. We thought not just that we were endowed with the righteousness of God, but that we were entitled to it and that we could enact it without God. And so we kicked him out of the picture. And we've been smudging our sin all over his beautiful canvas ever since. We have corrupted this world and our place in it. And because we fail to enact justice and mercy, faithfulness and love, truth 
and grace. Well, now we stand in opposition. Opposition before the God who is defined by those very divine descriptors. We're merely rebels striving after the very things that we have rejected, but we are finding only pain and judgment and punishment now and into the future. But God would not leave his beloved children this way. And that is why John is so fervent to testify to the truth of what he saw. For he knows that God had promised that love and faithfulness will meet once more. Psalm 85 was read earlier and it speaks of this restoration. You see there in verse 10 it says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. When God intervenes into the shards of our sinful disruption, He coalesces truth and grace together. Love and faithfulness meet. And where do they meet? Well, John began his testimony not in chapter 19, but back in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he says that God's word was being spoken once again into his creation. But this time, it was not just part of the architecture. It was one of his agents. The Word of God this time has become human. In verse 14 of chapter 1, John testifies that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, John says, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, biblical synonyms for love and faithfulness. Here they meet at last in Jesus Christ. Here is the one who truly bears the image of God in this world for humanity because he is the very word of God wrapped in our humanity. If we use the structure of verse 11 from Psalm 85, faithfulness springs forth from the earth in Jesus and righteousness looks down from the heavenly Father. Jesus is the very expression of of God's love and faithfulness as John has testified to. And Jesus is the response that humanity should make to God's love and faithfulness. Because he lived a life of perfect justice and of perfect mercy. He is the truth of God, the love of God, packaged in our frail flesh. He is the very one we have been searching for, but also the very one we rejected and sent to the cross. And that is why John's testimony of Jesus' death on that cross is so meticulous. Because God's love promised in the pages of the Bible was seen by John at the cross. John says elsewhere that the very definition of God's love was Jesus laying down his life at the cross. And John is also seeing God's faithfulness at the cross. Because God is faithful in making sure that our rejection of him will not triumph. Real justice for sin has been done at the cross. God has judged sin, defeated sin, overcome sin in the just death of Jesus. Because in that moment, the loving embrace of God's love and faithfulness that that Jesus brought to bear on humanity, it was stretched apart by sinful humans. Love and faithfulness were beaten into that cross. And Christ was offered up to now embrace the full justice of God because we have been spurning God's embrace since the Garden of Eden. 
John's meticulous testimony is such that he could well ask us, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Because he has painted a very compelling picture for us. You can feel like you are there. You can hear the crack of bones. You can see the flood, the flow of blood and water. But John can also ask it because we were there. Our sin was scourged into Jesus in that moment. Because the man who was the love and the faithfulness of God in flesh did not deserve to be there. He faithfully went there for you in love. He thirsted when your throat should have been parched. He winced from the wounds of the floggings when it should have been you and I at the whipping block. He gasped for breath when it should have been your ribcage that was filling with fluid. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit when it should have been my life and your life that ebbed away. It should have been our pulse that stopped in our sin. But in Christ's love and his faithfulness, he let justice be done to him on our behalf that we might receive his grace. The impossible mix of love and faithfulness they embrace at the cross. The glory that John testified to seeing is here in this moment. And that's why Jesus' last words are recorded as, It is finished. Because love and faithfulness have met together. Righteousness and peace kiss. The glory of the Father is revealed at the cross. It is finished. And so we don't need to keep searching for justice when we can look on the one that we have pierced at the cross. We don't need to keep longing to be filled with mercy when everything has been fulfilled at the cross. And in just two short sleeps time, you will hear of how this fulfillment is vindicated in the resurrection of Jesus, where justice has been served and their life-giving grace flows to us in abundance. The resurrection etches God's love and faithfulness into the eternal body of Jesus. And by faith, we are hemmed into Jesus' grace and truth now, enabling us to enact real justice and real mercy by the power of the Spirit now. And we do that as we look forward to seeing those things unfold fully when Christ returns again. But you'll hear more about that on Sunday. For now, I want you to hear this testimony. The twin desires of humanity are embraced by the reality of the twin flow of blood and water. For our corruption and betrayal, every single sinful detail received justice in Christ's slaughter. To Christ's faith is added love that righteousness from above is found as ours, now truly restored. So no longer live in your deceit, but lay your faith at Christ's feet, for we were there when we crucified our Lord.